February 8th, 2023. We're continuing to discuss many of the concepts, ideas that Harambam sets forth in Moren Vuchim. If you recall, the last several weeks uh, in which we met, we talked about Harambam's approach to Kiddushah, to matters of sanctity. And effectively, to put it in a sentence or two, what Harambam describes for us is that Kiddushah is, and it sounds wrong, but it's right, is man-made. Now, certainly it's not uh, something that you and I make up, per se, but without human beings' involvement, there's nothing intrinsic and inherent, uh, neither to places, nor to situations, nor even to time, to a certain extent, with regards to, quote, Kedushah, God's presence. It's our realization. It's our bringing him there through action, through thought, through speech. Um, at the end of last week's class, what we were talking about throughout the class was Mikdash, was Mishkan, which of course has the name Kedushah in it, or Kodesh in it, and Harambam, and we, we zoned in specifically on one passage in the Moreh, described how even the Mikdash, to a large extent, and we developed this, was determined and decided in terms of its sanctity and Kiddushah by human beings as well. So at the end of the class, or at some point in the class, as we were reading from Harambam in the Moreh, Harambam was uh, directing us uh, to the passages with regards to Akedat Yitzhak. Over there, Harambam noticed how Abraham Avinu on the third day raises his eyes and sees the mountain. And he realizes that's the place. Harambam picking up on it, unlike the Midrash, unlike Rashi who cites the Midrash, that it's something that Abraham sees, so to speak, intrinsic and inherent to the place. He sees a cloud of some sort define it accordingly, Harambam says that he saw a tall mountain and the ways of the pagan idolaters was to worship on the top of mountains in the highest areas that they could find. It was almost as if, and I already mentioned it then, Harambam was describing a decision that was made at the Akedah in a creative capacity by Avraham Avinu. That's significant. That's very much in line with what he was talking about. That was one mention. And then Harambam described how uh, envisioning or realizing God's presence, as he wrote it, in the West, uh, well, Harambam said that too was to negate the ways of the idolaters. Instead of looking to the East where the sun rises, so the vision is to look to the West. And that's the way the Mikdash, which was uh, crafted and created and placed in that place on Haramoriah, was as a result the Kodesh HaKodashim is westward with regards to its uh, construction. Uh, what I picked up on together with you then in those two references, among many others, what we were discussing and describing in that context is how even by Akedat Yitzhak, and that's specifically what I want to focus on this week with you, is even by Akedat Yitzhak, and I say this with a little bit of trepidation, but I imagine the majority view when you talk about Akedat Yitzhak is what was the greatness of Abraham at that time? It's his ability not to inject himself, is it not? Isn't that what the test was? Can you listen and abide by my word against perhaps that which you believe or know to be different? That's the general conception, I believe, with regards to the Akedah. And yet, at Akedah Yitzhak, the moment of self-sacrifice, of giving in to God's divine will and purpose, Harambam described for us two circumstances which are not simple, don't even meet the eye, where Abraham, in his eyes, was making his own decision, was creatively determining this is best. That's already significant, at least in my mind. 
So I, in this context, I figured it's a good opportunity to talk about, and this uh, class, not exactly the way we're gonna discuss it now, but I've already in the past discussed this in a different context, Harambam's approach to the Akedah. But I'd like to, together, review it to a certain extent. It's not going to be the same as, I imagine, the first time some years ago I uh, taught it, uh, not because I remember what I said then, but I imagine over time certain things marinate differently and develop in, diff in, in, in other directions. So here in, in Harambam, in the More, in several circumstances, Harambam does allude to and then uh, sometimes in short ways, other times a little bit lengthier, to address the Akedah. Uh, the two primary ones I'd like to focus on are, if you have in front of you from Chilek HaShelishi, that's Chilek Imam, Perek Kafdalet. So it's one of those sheets with, uh, uh, it's the double-sided one. Uh, it should be 506. Now, very briefly, before you read from 506, and you don't have this in front of you, it's at the beginning of Perek Kafdalit. What Hanambam says he wants to do in this Perek is he wants to talk about Nisayon. He says there are several places in the Torah where we refer to a Nisayon, six places. And Hanambam says there's a common misconception with regards to that word Nisayon, I guess easiest translated in the normal English into test. Arambam says you should understand. You don't have this in front of you. I'm just going to read it for a moment. He asked questions about almost what appears to be a sadistic way of God. He's torturing people who don't deserve it. That is, again, the standard interpretation. It's a test from God. To show your love, he's going to torture you. It's the same way, and it's in this context as well, that Harambam uh, takes issue with the Gemara at the beginning of Masechet Berachot, which refers to Yisurim Shel Ahava. There's torture and pain which God inflicts because of love. Rashi, as a matter of fact, which is a simple interpretation to the Gemara, says without any sin, you'll be tortured to give you greater merit. Harambam has no such acceptance of that sort of concept. He says that's not, it's not to say that the Gemara doesn't mention it, it's not an accepted approach, says Harambam. And he's not, uh, he he's, what? He, he, bring he brings it up in that context. Yeah. Again, but the, the question again is, well, what? how much is he accepting of that as a way of God. And the truth is that Gemara, as I mentioned more than once, is not all, at all clear. It's Rabbi Yohanan who keeps saying Habibim Yisurin, and then when he himself gets sick and he's visited, I think by Rabbi Al-Azhar, perhaps a different one of the uh, Emoraim, he says, Lohen velo he himself says, I'm not interested. So the Gemara already gives you a certain ambivalence. Anyway, that being the case, Harambam says that's not what Nisayon is. He disagrees with such a concept as a normative approach philosophically in Judaism. He's not afraid to do that. He does that from time to time in, in the Moreh. He'll say there are different approaches amongst Hachmeh HaMasoret. This one is not the mainstream opinion. I mean, it's not so... So he's Cholek on Rabbi Yohanan's opinion in the Gemara. Right? It's important to note that. He can, as could you, if you studied Midrash properly, find many different approaches approaches uh, uh, directly stated or implicitly stated that disagree with that. That Gemara already mentions other opinions. I'm not interested in them. It's almost as if they're disagreeing. Maybe they're just not, they're not on that level. Alternatively, they're negating the concept. So, no, no, What's that? It could be, but Harambam, that passage in Gemara, that concept, so he, he negates. He just says no, that doesn't say what he believes. He, he, he says, well, you know, he'll define Nisayon differently, so to a certain extent. But if you want to just use test or whatever you want to use, 
he, he describes the um, Akedat as the Nevoah, so... I'm getting there. You're too far ahead of me. I'm getting there. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah I, I just need to get into Nisayon first. He said, Da shekol Nisayon hamofiyah batorah. Oh, because of Helek Bet. Oh, that's right. But kol Nisayon hamofiyah batorah matrato mashmauto rakshi yedeu hanashim marau ilahem laasot. Says Arambam, Nisayon is purposed to teach us and the person involved a lesson. Nothing more, nothing less. What to know, what to accept. The action in its particularity, the specifics, are not the purpose of a nisayon. The purpose of, an, of a nisayon is that we look at that specific and particular occurrence and experience and in turn derive certain lessons from it. It's not about the experience per se that was significant. It's about the lessons to be learned from it. Okay, there's longer and important conversations to be had about this. On a personal level, so. what's, that, what's that? On a personal level, so. No. Well, on, on a national level as well. I mean, the, the, well, the examples in the Torah are, are, are personal, this you or not, but the lessons to be derived are nationally, or for me and you. No, no, I mean, but, but Abraham going through Nisayon, he, he has to, meaning, meaning he has to have this, 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 this um, outlook of a Nisayon as he's going through it. I mean, don't, don't worry about the, 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 the details. Well, I mean, it'll crystallize a little bit as, as he explains to us. More than anything, he's going to describe the Akedah as an experience which was purposed not to torture Avraham, rather to exemplify for us, to a certain extent, two concepts. That's, that's what the Nisayon, when the Torah talks about Nisayon, instead of saying, oh, you see, God's about to torture, don't say that. Say instead, God's about to teach us a lesson from this experience. So don't zone in on the specifics of the experience and say, well, maybe that means X, Y. Alternatively, say, well, what do I see being characterized? What do I see being highlighted by the Torah? That's what he does with the Nisayon. So if you take a look now on 506, he says, when he gets to, of course, Ha'iluhim Nisayet Avraham, the Nisayon of the Akedah, I mean, the, well, third paragraph. The second, you know, full paragraph. Parashat Avraham Ba'akeda, writes Harambam. It includes, uh, incorporates two fundamentals with regards to Torah knowledge acceptances. The first one who lehodienu et kese gevul ha'ahava la'el yit'ala v'hayir'a mipanav. It's to show or to inform us of the uh, extreme limit uh, with regard or, or um, a boundary with regard to ahava and yira. Now, for Harambam, the word ahava, unlike uh, perhaps the, uh, the easiest way of interpreting that word ahava, we oftentimes, many people often will say it's love. For Harambam, it's more dedication, it's steadfast dedication, or it's constant thought, more specifically, is the way Harambam yeah, has that. Loyalty. loyalty. I know, I know. I'll tell you, I said a dirashah one summer in which I accepted the mainstream approach to it, that it's love, which is not without sourcing, and uh, from a lot of the uh, diehards, got a, a very hard time. I was aware of it. I said, it's a dirasha. You have to allow a little flexibility. Uh, regardless, but for Haram Bam, it has very much, every, uh, very much to do, and he, he describes at the end of Hilchot Teshuvah how Avraham is the Ohev. He's the one who has constant thought of God on his mind. It's the Cholat Ahava'ani, the love-stricken individual, not so much because of their emotions. Moreover, 
by the fact that they have everything they do is funneled through thought of that being. That's ahava and yira, okay, or fear defined accordingly. Again, not the specifics over here, my purpose or our purpose per se. Ad eze gevul hen magiod. Lachen. For that reason, that we go to extremes, or God did with the Akedah. Instead of talking about giving over money or even his life, which of course is the way we envision money and your own life, beyond that, the extreme, don't pay too super attention to the details, but understand the concepts, says Harambam, right? It's a matter which naturally, innately, we wouldn't answer to. A person who's barren with regards to his relationship with what, with his wife and children, not having children, who's uh, yearning so much for children. He's already wealthy, he's nasupanim, he's well-known and well-liked. He's looking forward to a nation which will be born out of his descendants. And the child is born to him after some despair. Can you imagine the connectedness, the constant thought of Avraham about his son, Yitzhak Aval? However, because of Avraham's ahava, call it in this context loyalty. Very easy to translate as such over here. His yirah, or his respect, honor, define accordingly. Again, the English for me is not as significant here, but it's the, it's the character traits, it's the concepts, it's the mindset of ahavan yirah, that dedication to God. He's willing to give up all that he had looked forward to, he'd hoped for, uh, over the course of some time, deciding and determining he's going to do this, he's willing to sacrifice his son. Harambam qualifies this. He says, he's kind of answering an implicit question. Why does Avraham need a three-day journey? He's filling in the gaps on that detail. And I told us not to look forward to the details, but again, the detail as representative, not a three-day day journey, but rather a period of time during which he can truly decide and understand what he's doing. He says, if he answered immediately, you'd say it was a knee-jerk response. It was in the moment. He didn't have clear thought. Instead, there's a three-day, he wakes up in the morning, but then after three-day journey, purposefully, says Harambam, he then is still, let's use that word, steadfast on this matter. Had it been immediate, I would have perhaps imagined or suggested this was not a fully thought out, uh, it was a spontaneous action. If it's a three-day journey, if it's time for contemplation, for letting the matter sit, 
settle in, or set in rather, for him to truly decide with full shikul hadat and yeshuv hadat, lo ra'ui lit'on the matzav ahev, lo hashba'at shum hipa'alut, ki avram avinu lo miher lishchot yitzhak mitok pahad minayel, it's not some sort of uh, irrational fear of God, penyehgenu yerosheshot, or that maybe God will uh, hurt him or harm him, uh, weaken him, el achverak biklil aklal ahavato yit'ala yirato hamutalim al bnei adam, lo b'shel tzipiyah l'schav, lo mitach pahad mipnei onesh, k'mo sh'izbanam b'kama mekomot, this was a full-fledged ahava action from Avram. Lachen amar lo hamalach ki ata yada'ati ki yere Elohim ata kelomar, ma'aseh hazeh, asher beglalo ye'amer alecha yere Elohim, yede'u ko bnei adam, ma'u k'tseh gevul yere'at Hashem, it's for that reason as Avram is praised, or as there is uh, a remark from the Malach Elohim to Avraham, that's what this was about. Okay, that's the first lesson to be derived, says Harambam, from Akedah Yitzhak. If you'll just uh, move to... He doesn't, he doesn't differentiate between Avraham and Yitzhak. Over here he doesn't. No, he, he of course, in Hechot So the HaTorah he will. In the, and of course, that, that dialectic yeah. needs to be broken down in the context of the Akedah, where you read about Yirah and Harambam is the one mentioning Ahava, which is very appropriate, at least in his definition of it, but the Torah never even mentions that word, of course, uh, something to note. All right, but if you'll just, uh, again, the, the next paragraph, Dashehu hitgish et ha'inyan hazeh b'Torah, v'yivir otov v'siyen sh'tachlit kol ha'Torah kula, l'rabot ha'sivuyim ha'yusurim ha'vtachot sipurim ha'kulim bo, hidavar echad ha'yira mimenu yit'ala, he says, to a large extent, the purpose. Again, uh, you know, these are very important, uh, every line, I mean, in, in any book of, uh, you know, uh, of extreme thought is going to be something that you could build mountains of, uh, of, of, of understandings from, this included. But for our purposes, he's now uh, speaking very highly. He's extolling the virtue, as the Torah does, of Yirat Hashem. At the very end of the Torah, description of Moshe, of the Torah, what's its purpose, so to speak? This is one of the two, I call it purposes or matters which were intended with the Akedah Nisayon. The second one, and here's the one that I want to, for tonight, focused more on, not just to a, a specific and particular way that Harambam words this. Ha'inyan describes it. Ha'inyan Hasheni. Hu lehodi'enu shehanevi'im mekabelim ke'emet et ma she'ba'elehem behitgalut. Pause. Let's digest those words. Mm-hmm. Has something to do with prophecy, as Abi mentioned earlier, but specifically, it has to do with truthfulness of prophecy. But more specific than that, read the words again. It's that the prophet, the Navi, accepts that which is being spoken or transmitted to them as true. He doesn't write, nor will he write throughout this paragraph, that this speaks to the truthfulness of prophecy, if a person has a prophetic vision or experience that is truthful. Instead, curiously, Harambam's words are, this speaks to the way that a person who prophesies realizes or accepts that prophecy, that nevoah, as truthful. Do you understand the distinction? I can look at the experience and say, what's the lesson? Prophecy is truthful. That's one lesson. Alternatively, I could say, you see that a person who gets prophecy accepts it as truthful. You'll say it's semantics. 
Far from it, I believe. He's honing in, he's zoning in specifically on Avraham. Not on Nivwa, but on Avraham's acceptance of this Nivwa. He explains, So that person should not think mistakenly, since a prophecy, generally speaking, is, uh, is, is in, in dreams or in visions. And the truth is, Hanumam spent much time earlier in the Moreh describing that. And through the imaginative faculty, you might say as a result that the person who experiences it should and will realize hmm, this wasn't fully true. There was something off. Uh, maybe this was just my own false imagination. What's the next words? Again, second time he said that. In the eyes of the prophet... It is seen and perceived and understood as truth. How do you see that by Avraham? Well, that's quite easy. How the heck, says Harambam, not in that word, how is it possible that Harambam was willing to take his son as we described it, as we build it up, and to actually give him up? It can't be anything other than he was absolutely certain that this was a truthful prophecy. That's going to be the point of Harambam over here. But again, it's curious, it's peculiar how Harambam describes it as truthfulness in the eyes of the prophet. Almost as if... Otherwise you wouldn't do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't do it. But if I'm now telling you that Akedah Yitzhak, for example, the first message of the Akedah is to learn Ahava and Yirah. Globally. Globally, and understand the concept. Over here, again, maybe it's semantics, but I think not. Um, shouldn't he be saying, you see, prophecy, when a person has it, is truthful? It teaches you something about Nebuah, really. That's right, which seems, which seems, you know, kind of small. He talks about that metaphors he's... and metaphors and metaphors, and they're all wrapped up, and it doesn't mean that they're yeah. not they're a metaphor. Yeah, but I, again, my, my specific noticing over here in Harambam is that it's Hanavi. Okay, again, he, he concludes so this. Don't and... you say the prophecy is also coming through, if it's in a vision, or it's, it, right, it's not Panim and Panim, it's still, metaf- it's still it metaphoric. It is, and therefore, Norman, therefore, maybe I should say that the perfect person in the experience should doubt himself. Right. Right. You see from That's Abraham, you don't doubt yourself. It's a training book, and Harambam very much envisions it this way. The Torah is a sort of training book for prophecy, yeah. for communion with God or with the divine, right? That's what he has, and that's what he's describing this as, as a, a Navi training. It's reality for the prophet. Even though the initial command was and again, Harambam is going to be keen on paying attention to the type of prophecy it was. That would be very much the theme of something we're going to have to develop here with regards to the Akedah. Nonetheless, again, let me just characterize that for a moment. or Hida or Mare or Halom. That's a description of, well, not Moshe prophecy, certainly not Mosaic prophecy. We know that's not the Mareo Behida. That's something, and he's, he's, he's purposefully, in order to make his point, he says to us, you see, Abraham didn't have such clarity, and nonetheless, he was certain. 
That's that's the point he's making over here. There's, there's two types of prophecy, right? There's just there's panim and panim, which is Moshe, and there's everything else. There's well, believe it or not, there's there's eleven. <laughs> there's at least eleven. We're gonna read seven from the other source that I'm giving you. Right? But at this point, these words already made clear to you. We're not at the top. We're far from right. It, right? Because, because Forget were, about Moshe. We're not was, even at the top. That, and that's the point. It was, if one of the points of the Akedai is that even when it should be Safik, the Prophet's so certain, maybe he had full clarity. No, no, no. It's not about this was Behalom. How does he know it was Behalom, parenthetically? Vayashkem Avraham Baboker is probably the proof for that. Uh-huh. The fact that he woke up in the morning after the Sivui, why is the Torah seemingly telling you an unnecessary detail? It was at night, uh, potentially when he was but sleeping. Yes, yeah. Mom says the whole thing was in a. So this is an important, it's an important point. It's never, uh, you should just know, uh, he never explicitly, to the best of my knowledge and experience, we're going to read the other part where he talks about this. There are. If I'm not mistaken, this medieval mahlokit about Harambam's intention. This is not a contemporary thing. There is, yeah, we're going to read a little bit. We're we're going to read one of the other two places where he talks about it. Uh, But but just to state it out loud, what what A.B. said is that there is a thought. I happen to not subscribe to it, but I'll have to, maybe not tonight. That's okay. Uh, That the Akedah never happened physically. Now, Harambam writes that explicitly in the context of something else, right? The, the angels that come to Avraham at his, at his Ohil, right. at the beginning of Parashat Vayera, this is explicit. In the Moreh, Harambam says that was all prophetic. There's no questioning. That, in other words, that's not interpretation. That's not A.B. That's not this. That's explicit. And Ramban Nahmani, among many others, got very nervous about this, very angry. Do you mean to say that Sedom and Amorah, by extension, keep in mind, that's what happens, right? Also was prophetic, because you have Avraham waking up. Did that not happen? But he does see smoke Billow, bellowing up to the heavens, so not fully clear, you know, all the answers and conversation. But that's explicit. His statement is angelic visions are bimare nivuah. As a result, it already gets you thinking about the, the about the about the uh, akedah being in such. It doesn't per se, right. but it jams up people. And again, it jams up so, people for so good does reason. He, say it here? Does he, say he never says explicitly. Just, just there is a, there is a there again as Norman said. That's critical. Not gonna, in terms of the message to us, in terms of understanding, uh, you know, the take home of the Akedah, the purpose and the vision and the scripture, not really gonna make a difference, quote, whether it happened physically or not. It will jam up the traditionalist for good reason. What are you talking about? He didn't actually want to, so then does it all mean? But if his commitment was there, and then prophetically he was somehow committed, that in and of itself might speak the same volume as you know, the action, again, I mentioned my opinion, didn't need to. I personally do, from several, several innuendos in Harambam, seems to me that he did believe, but it's, again, it's, it's firstly, not relevant to this. Secondly, in the scheme of things, I don't know how relevant it is in general. That being the case, I just want to, for a moment, pause. Uh, it, it has been stated, I saw it most recently in the book of Aaron Kohler, in his book, Unbind- The Unbinding of Isaac, or Unbinding Isaac, rather. Um, so he makes the point that Harambam's words here take, certainly long before, they take Immanuel Kant, uh, Kant's 
critique of the Akedah of Avraham, and they spin and they spin it on its head. And what do I mean by that? Immanuel Kant, an important 18th century German philosopher, in several places, one of them being on the page in front of you from his book, The Conflict of Faculties, makes the following claim about the Akedah. He says the Akedah was a failure, if we're to read the story and accept it, a failure of Abraham. How could Abraham have accepted a prophetic vision which commanded him to do something on ethical and immoral. Uh, to put it in other words for you, the Torah is constantly, well, oftentimes, commanding us not to walk in the ways of the other right. nations, to sacrifice our children. How could it be that Avraham was in any way about to be like Ma'aviret bin Olamolech? How's he possibly doing such a thing? I'll make it even strong, you know, now I'll make it, you know. The fact that he didn't is to show that, they, that you can't, right? No, he did. The, the fact that he was willing to did. do it was a failure. Thankfully, he pulls out at the last minute, but Immanuel mm-hmm. Kant says the whole thing was a failure. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it was instead of, you so know, the, the I, I don't think he would be even... Pulling out, not to do, not to do it. Not no, the commitment to do it. No, well. Okay. 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 All right. Uh, re- correct. <laughs> correct. 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 Regards. Right. So that's what I thought. That, that was what I was about to say. To, to strengthen the Immanuel Kant point, and I'm not certain that he makes this point himself. You know, contrast it to Sedom, where Avraham is contesting it. Right. So how is it possible that over here he's easily doing it? Again, my parasha vision and uh, and, and 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 approach, notwithstanding, and I do have my own feelings about this. And certainly our liturgy on Rosh Hashanah does not reflect an Immanuel Kant approach. We turn to God and we ask him to remember the Akedah. It's not the near failure of Avraham at a pinnacle moment in his life that he's willing to do the wrong thing. Oh, please remember the fact that he was willing to slaughter and, and to sacrifice his child. But what Harambam, again, takes that statement, and Immanuel Kant's point is, if you're prophesying and there's something which is immoral and contrary to the ways of God, you clearly are not getting a true prophecy. Pick up on that. Haram Bam says, no, quite the opposite. If Avraham was willing to do it, clearly he was absolutely certain that it was true. Do you understand the claim of... Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the, the whole, I mean, the, the connection... It, it basically I mean, says to Kant, yes. Right. You know, in other words, right. it, that's your claim? Yes! That was the great, you know, not the great. Like Abraham's, problem, Abraham's problem receiving that prophecy is, and right, because he's, his midot were in that place where, why wouldn't I get this? It's true. It is true because I'm, I'm there. I'm in that place. His problem is he had no way to justify not doing it. In other words, that's the point of the deen why? aspect of it and that connects to Roshana is that because, why, does, <laughs> why does he deserve to live? Why does he deserve to have a son? What did Jews deserve yeah. to eat? But, 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 but the whole thing that goes into it is... No, I'm saying... The yeah, beginning of Sidon. Okay, I... You can't split the two. Okay. Like we do this is real, but that was... I, I understand your angle. I, I'm telling that the counter-argument, again, is well, he did it at Sidon, and I understand your answer. I, I really do. But the claim is there. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not negating your approach to the matter. I am just repeating to you that, in our, for our purposes, Kant's claim that you see the failure of the Akedah, he should have realized, he should have known, instead of even giving a logical approach as you are, or whatever, an approach at all, says Harambam, that's right, that proves that it was real prophecy. And Kant would scratch its head and say, you're speaking a different language than me, which Harambam very much was, yeah. in more ways than one, right? So that just, it, I, and understand, 
It sounds like circular I'm logic. Not, I'm not certain. I think it's quite it the Hidush of Harambam. It is. It's circular because they're not talking to each other. That's it, what I'm saying. He takes his right. claim and he just turns it upside down and says, that's right. Because, because Emmanuel Kant's, his, his context of Torah sounds like it needs to be a, an ethical and moral approach. So he's applying which, ethics and moral to Torah. Which, which I happen which, to want to tell you, Harambam would be a no, line as well. Harambam and Izikarim says that you have to understand that it's above that's our standard standard approach. Right, that's right, not Yitzchak's right, approach. Right, it's right, not Yitzchak's right, approach. Right, it's right, not even Harambam's approach. Okay, regardless, it's getting too, too out there philosophically for, for even me at the moment. Um, what I will tell you is just taking a step uh, to the side a little bit and remembering the words of Harambam. Again, that was a parenthetical point, but a significant one. But Harambam's words in terms of the second message, second inyan with regards to the Akedah, again was... And, and, and we strengthened it in, in giving it that contrast to Kant, was that if a person prophesies, they know in that moment that for them this is true. The proof, Avraham goes to sacrifice his child, even though it's mimare ubehalom. Right, so it, it, it did, again, it individualized again, somehow, the akedah. There was something individual instead of, I call it universal, or just reality. And I want to strengthen or sharpen that a bit by reading from, and, and we talked about these different levels of nivuah, Harambam's last five. So this is in Hilek Bet, in Perek Memhe. So again, he's talking about levels of, of, of prophetic, not levels of prophets, but levels of prophecy. And so here, take a look at these last several that happen to be well, easily, saved me pages, page 414. It's Hilek Bet, Perek Memhe, in the middle. I unfortunately skipped the first six. Uh, they're longer for another occasion. This, the last several, which are all relevant to Avraham. Number seven, Haddarga Hashivirit. It's a prophetic encounter in a dream as if God is speaking. All right, so it means that level number seven is a dream where it appears to the prophet as if God's speaking to them. By the way, that's what I think Harambam was telling us the beginning of Akedah was. Was he not? Harambam said, even though it was Behalom, and we said probably because of Ayashkem Avraham Baboke, probably on level seven over there. Level eight, Hadarga Hashiminit, Shetavoy Lavitkalut, Bemareha Nevuah. It's not per se in sleeping, it's in a prophetic vision. Vire Mishalim. You'll see parables. Ke'avraham b'mar'ah ben abetarim. The pasuk explicitly says he's lying there and looking. And say, ki ha'mishalim ha'em ha'yu b'mar'eh b'yom. Those were a daytime, not sleeping experience, but prophetic vision with all sorts of parables that need to be broken down and understood. What was mar'eh ben abetarim? Berit ben Abitarim. Berit ben Abitarim. There's several animals and they're split in half. And God promises Avraham that I'm going to give you this land. You're going to have children. And Avraham asks him, It is the moment of Berit. It is the moment of covenant between Avraham and, and God. It's a critical moment in his, uh, in his life as... As, that's, as that, that's, that's, that's one of the first. That's one that's of the, the first promise. promises. That's, that's, the, that's first. the first promise. That is the. That is the it's, promise. It is the promise. There that's were other the experiences of look at the stars. This is here's our deal. That's before. That's before the Malachim and the Brit and the. And yes. 
Right. Parashat Lech Lecha. Hadargah HaTeshi'it, number nine. Sheishma Dibur B'mar'eh. Instead of a mashal of sorts, of some sort of vision. Okay, so number one was, or number seven was hearing in a dream. Number eight was seeing uh, something that you need to break down while awake. Number nine is while awake, hearing. This is where he gets the prophecy, perhaps, prophecy that he's going to have a child named Yitzhak. He means totally awake. He doesn't mean totally awake. I can accept. Trance like state. Understood. Yes. No, no, it's not in any of them. He's not actually. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Meditative is the right word. Hadagaha asirit. Shire ish. Keep in mind, this were all Avrahamish. Avraham involved. Shire ish medabere lav mare hanevoa. Ke Avraham gamken be elone mamre. So there's our Avraham Mamre, by the way, and this is one of the places, Avi, where he explicitly tells us, again, he writes this at greater length, that the, the angels were not actual people or Wait, something that he was... Mamre is in the That's right. Number 11. The apex. Shire malach midaber elav. Sight, hearing, angelic. Ke'avraham b'sha'ata keda. Well, let's stop and pause for a second. It says, V'hiya chara devarim ha'ele, v'hailuhim nisayat Avraham. V'yomer elav, God, at the beginning, seems to, during a dream, be transmitting a message to Avraham at the beginning of the akeda. What level was that? Seven. Now, the moment of the Akedah. 11 trumps 7. 11 is the moment where the angel appears Stop. to him, stops him. Zot be'enai ha'gavua b'dargot ha'nevi'im asher sefarim he'idu al-matzavihim achare she'umat met, she'umat ma she'kava'anu b'dvar shlemut ha'kohot ha'sikhliim shal adam al-pi ma she'chayavayun achare she'hosenu et Moshe Rabbeinu menakilal Of course, all discounting Moshe in any of these 11 levels. Okay, so that's the concluding lines. But again, I want to pause for a moment and again realize that it means effectively that you went from the beginning of the Akedah, and I mean the first message of God to Avraham, level seven for all intents and purposes, to in the moment of final perception, comprehension, level 11. It means the experience of the Akedah, and now you'll understand why wow. A.B. was I saying earlier, you'll understand why A.B. said earlier, all prophetic, but you will understand that the very least, discounting that for a moment, because irrespective of that reality, it means that the Akedah's experience is to be appreciated by you and me in some way or fashion by Avraham rising in his prophetic uh, uh, understanding. Wow. Right, that, but that's what that's what he's telling us. He's not saying it explicitly. The truth is, so what, some, what gets you to the level? The level is based on your midot. No. It, well, certainly it's through the through the. Midot, midot is a fair word. Midot, Harambam quotes the Gemara Masechin Nedarim that a person who gets prophecies is very clear about this. Needs to be a person who shalem bimidot. There's no question. Of course, it means by sharpening my mind, by right. focusing yeah. properly, by connecting myself to God in the appropriate way to Chokma right. and so right. forth. And, but that means that really Which is great again to the first thing because then Ahava and Yira are the same at that. Okay, interesting. Also, nice. We just spiritual. 
Yes, very much so. You could not come up with a better. This is Nisayon. It's an elevation. But, but, oh, that's what you mean. Okay, even nicer. But I I will tell you, we now did define what Harambam wrote over there. Harambam said that in the moment of prophecy, which Avraham had at the onset, the prophet is certain about the truth of that prophecy. Pause for a second. Does God, I mean, maybe you'll say yes. I'd like to say no. Does God contradict himself? So we'd like to say no. I'm very clearly going to say no. But Avraham was certain that the initial word was truthful. That's what Harambam told us. Now, in the scheme of things, was it full truth? It wasn't full truth because he was not supposed to. He didn't do it because he understood he wasn't supposed to. It means that mean to prophesy, he didn't slaughter his son. He did. Why can't they both be true? What do you mean he didn't? And then ultimately speaking, uh, an angel tells him, don't outstretch your arm. It means that Avraham, are you although giving him the credit, I, I am describing. No, I'm that describing that the initial message which he understood, as much as Harambam said, you see the greatness, not the greatness. You see the inyan. The inyan is that it's truthful. He didn't say those words because it wasn't the full truth. Was it tr- not truthful at all? can't be it wasn't truthful at all it was prophecy after all it was uh, some transmission of divine knowledge and that being the case there had to be an aspect of truth it may have not been the full truth but effectively then and we can look it up doesn't say there, kill him. Certainly so, as is Doesn't well known. Of course. Rashi makes this point. Rashi in his commentary to the Torah says that the word ha'aleu le'ola right. can be understood in one of two ways. Either it means, ola by definition means to bring it. up. No question. It means... Even that keda that we use, the binding of, is the right. of the you're binding. You're right. Normally, you, you step further, and it's not without sourcing Rabbeinu Saadiago, yeah. and others make this sort of point. Rashi, again, to a certain extent, uh, implies this, that there were riddles that needed to be broken down. But all that notwithstanding, but it is in line with what we're, what we're suggesting, it means that the Akedah then begins with a partial truth, a prophecy which isn't fully revealed. And as it progresses, effectively what we're seeing or reading about is a progression in Avraham ascending the rungs of prophetic understanding. But it's it's very much what Harambam is telling us along those lines and supporting this before we, you know, to a certain extent understand the significance. In other words, Abraham has to get to Yitzchak, has to get to Yaakov. How do you get there? How do you get there? How does Yitzchak get there? What? What do you mean? How does Yitzchak get there? Part of Yitzchak getting there is going through this experience. Otherwise, he doesn't necessarily become Yitzchak. In other words, the, the Akedah you're suggesting is also pedagogical with regards to educating Yitzchak, and he needed to undergo educating, this. Okay, but, but that's, I mean, so you asked the question of Ola. How did you make him, right, this was the no, rising Ola, to that. Ola meaning 
burnt. I got it. No, I know that. I know that sort of physically. Yeah, I, the only thing, I, and again, it's not per se that it's not per se to negate uh, your, your suggestion. The Torah does not really call attention to Yitzhak's role in this episode. I know we always question that. Yeah. But to say that that was the or a very significant um, a purpose of it. To your point. You're saying it was just a consequence, but we don't. Exactly. Okay. I, I, again, I, I can't deny that, you're, that, that that was so for him. I don't know that the Torah per se wants us focused right. on we, that. We do, know, calls we do know zero that attention to talk, his relationship with Abraham is over. We do imply he that from the Pesukim. I, I have to agree. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, the, uh, to, the, to, to just support this notion, um, uh, there is a book called Gavi Akesef. Gavi Akesef is written by Rabbi Yosef ben Kaspi. It's a philosophical work. He was a 14th century Provençal, that's southern France rabbi, and uh, he makes, uh, in, he, he considers himself a, a, a student, of course not in person, of Harambam, of Maimonidean thought, whereas Harambam wrote for the elite, he says he's, he's writing a little bit more for the masses. In his book, in Gadviake, Safir and Perekim, among others, Aaron Kohler cites this as well, um, he sets forth the following uh, analysis. He says, look at the beginning of the Akedah and compare it to the end of the Akedah. The beginning of the Akedah sets forth for us a description of Malach, uh, of, of Elohim Nisait Avraham. That's Elohim. Elohim is more distant. Uh, certainly in Haram Bam's work in general. Yodke Vavke is, so to speak, the Shem Prati, the, the personal name of God, and so on and so forth. He could bring many uh, proofs to that, to that extent. So it says, you began with Elohim. We'll pause for a second. That means a bit more distant. Call it seventh level of perception. As matters progress, it's Now this expression of that Malach Hashem is The fact that you came to here expresses and shows your Yirat Elohim. The aftermath of the matter though, says Gaviyah Kesef is that Avraham names the place Adonai Yireh. Hashem Yireh, that's the Yod Kevavke, instead of Elohim Yireh Lo Hasele Ola Bini, which he says to Yitzhak at the beginning. Whereas the Akedah begins with Elohim Yireh Lo, it ends with Adonai Yireh. So that's, that's, a, that's a progression. Whereas it begins with Veha Elohim Nisat Avraham, it ends with Malach Adonai speaking to Avraham. The description then, and, and this is in very much, at least in my mind, in line with what we've been discussing in the context of Harambam. And just to stay, state it for a moment before I give a little bit of, of linear uh, um, uh, pivoting in, in reading from Rabbi Salvechik in closing, uh, but uh, just in terms of appreciating this from a philosophical level uh, with regards to Harambam's general philosophy, what we've been describing and realizing is as much as others, Ramban, Nahmani, Kuzari, uh, call it the um, widespread notion of Judaism, places more of an emphasis on, as we described it, this uh, top-down uh, type of funneling of truth and of, uh, of, of spirituality and of, of holiness and, and, and so forth. For Harambam, we envisioned it in the opposite direction. It was more the onus of responsibility, the creative capacity being placed on human beings. I therefore brought us to talk about the Akedah. Now, no doubt, the Akedah, talking about it as prophecy, not really putting Avraham in the driver's seat per 
per se, but it does at the same time an experience which people generally understand the widespread notion. Not everyone, I said Rabbeinu Sa'adiago and others otherwise, but generally speaking, you say to the average person, the average rabbi, what was the greatness of the Akedah? It was Avraham's ability to submit, Avraham's ability to surrender, Avraham's ability to sacrifice. Each of those statements is one in which we say this was about a God command and a human just falling down and giving in. Alternatively, for Harambam, the Akedah, maybe not the Inyan of the Akedah as he described it in Chilek but at the very least what actually took place, you're talking about some sort of progress of Avraham. You're talking about an experience that a human being is undergoing prophetically, no doubt. But ultimately speaking, you're talking about the growth of a human being. Instead of just looking at the Akedah as a forceful encounter with God, and that's the epitome of our relationship with God, just being able to topple yourself down at His command. Yirah and Ahava is not that simple to experience and to express a relationship with, uh, with God as the Akedah does in that moment of Nisayon means that human advancement, human perception, human involvement is the name of the game. We know Abraham doesn't have a problem challenging God. No question, even at the Akedah, right? You follow? In other words, the question from Sidom then I'm suggesting right. is a little bit more narrow, to a little, it's a, they're a little bit closer with regards to what Abraham does. It's true over there. He challenges, but over here it's so to speak a growth coming to the point where he understands that I don't need to do this. It's a prophetic encounter in which he realizes I'm not supposed to be doing this. Yes. So why can't his growth come from saying no? Because he doesn't challenge to challenge. He's not there yet. He challenges to access truth. He doesn't challenge to challenge. Not doing this. And then God says, that's the guy. Because he's not there yet. He needed to go no, through this process that to go. Is the I, process. But he needed that process to go through it. In order to get anyone to say he was growing. No, but that would be his growth process. And then God says, no, no, that's the guy. Yeah. Everybody level, else who was there is killing their son. On level 7, so that was truth at level 7. No, but again, at the time of level a, 11, that was also truth. I, I, to put it in different words, A.B.'s question again is, why is Sidom a positive encounter Whereas over here, which is also when positive. When did Sidon happen? Before or after? Before. After. Before. In the Torah, before. Oh, so it happened before. Oh, so. Happened before. Yeah, Wasn't before. he already there? That strengthens this question. Yeah. So I do think I can, not necessarily sufficiently for you, Abi, but it's exactly where I wanted to go in what I call the linear direction at the end of this class. I don't think I'm advancing the class. I think I'm giving another direction with regards to crystallizing this thought from Rabbi Soloveitchik. And first I'll suggest it outside of his words and then we'll read it a little bit inside. Uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik suggests, again, in line with the ambiguous talk that we've been referring to, whether it's in Olah, or alternatively, if it's with regards to the word sacrifice. What does it mean to sacrifice yourself? In line with, as well, the conversation we had earlier about whether this was prophetic or in action. In line with Norman saying, what's the difference? Again, the concept then being that instead of saying no, Abi, Abraham said yes without killing his son. Abraham, in mind and spirit, said, it's here. I'm he giving it up. 
That's right. Mm-hmm. So Norman goes a step further, mm-hmm. and again, it's a point that we and many others have made. No, because yeah, the pasuk says Vayashov Avraham el Ne'arav. On the way to the Akedah, it's Vayelechushinehem Yachtav twice. Afterwards, it's Vayashov Avraham el Ne'arav. As Abi pointed out, at the beginning of Parashat Hayes Sarais, Vayavo Avraham lispol the Sarav Livkota. Where was Yitzhak? So Yitzhak does seem to be somehow sidelined in his relationship with Avraham along those I lines. This, but just to the point. Try being Abraham's son, Moshe's son. What happened to Moshe's son? Nothing. Understood, understood, nothing. understood. At best, and not at best, at worst, the Hachamim, no, the Hachamim envisioned him as, as, as becoming an idolater. So, so, so how can Yitzchak become Yitzchak in Abraham's shadow? The only way is for him to be sacrificed. Understood. And out. And, and leave. Build, and build on his own. Again, the Chesed and the Dean, very opposite ideals. He finds put you on the altar and he is... Yeah. You grow from that experience, you go, this guy is a little wrong. Well, Norman is suggesting it changed him in a way. <laughs> it cha- no, but Norman no, suggesting it that. changed him in a way not that it psychologically marred him, but it changed perspective altogether. It did. Life. Was that a healthy uh, a change? Well, I want to life. imagine it's it as such. Necessary. Of necessary. Submission that's right. It's better, it's better yeah. whether it's healthy So, enough. again, just to put it in Rabbi Salvechik's words, again, just to, to, let's just quickly piece together the, the several points over here. The several points go as follows. We began by talking about this Akedah. And the reason we're talking about the Akedah is, to a certain extent, a continuation of what we talked about at the end of last class. The direction we were going in with regards to Akedah is that the Akedah was not taking Avraham away from active participation into almost passive submission. It was alternatively an experience for Avraham. And the way we got there was by first noticing that one of those two inyanim from the Akedah is the truthfulness understood by the person, even though it's not fully clear in the objective sense in a halom, but a prophet knows so. And then we continued. I said, so what is he referring to with regards to that? Well, he told us himself that the Akedah at a level 11, at its highest level, that was in the moment where Malach Amonai comes to Avraham, the early part where we're talking about Elohim, the lower level perceptions, the beginning of the Akedah, it means that the Akedah was an experience of prophetic growth, of crystallizing of mind, of understanding of God, of mission. The question that lingers and begs itself, although to a certain extent we've filled out Haram Bam's philosophy on this, is, and it's a side point, but I think it's very much in line with conversation over here, if we truly are inviting the individual into the experience, if that's what Haram Bam told me, well, then why doesn't Avraham in a Kantian fashion say no? Why doesn't Avraham in a Stomian fashion say no? So the suggestion then will be, and it might be, you might claim it's apologetic, you might not be sufficiently pleased with this, but it is a point which I think is, is clearly made, is that of Rabbi Salvechik, that his ability, and, and, and my words instead of his, to say yes while, and again, my manipulation of his words, while creatively determining what yes means, again, those, that's my application of it, well, that was the epitome of really capitalizing on a moment where I don't need to fight it, but I can creatively reformat it in order to arrive at the same truth. Was the level uh, 11 a follow-up to the same prophecy, or was it a different prophecy? I, so I think it's, I think it's a completion 
of the first one. Okay. And it's exactly the point I'm making. In other words, the first one was, so to speak, envisioned as a physical killing. The 11th one is, you don't need to physically kill. He understands in his mind, I can psychologically, I can spiritually sever. The basic idea of the Akedah, writes Rabbi Salvechik in the book, Abraham's Journey, is nurtured by the service awareness. Man is a servant of God. He belongs completely to God, body and soul. God owns human existence at every level, physical, spiritual, and social. Every movement of our muscles is related to God. Every thought that flashes through our minds belongs to God, belongs to him. Every feeling, every stirring of the soul, every joyful anticipation or sad expectation is not, perhaps it should say, my typo, the property of man. God is the Lord of the world and the master of man. Hence, God from time to time calls upon man to return to him, not saying hi, whatever is his, he demands that man give not a part, but the whole of himself. He requires of man to return divine property to its rightful owner. The supreme sacrifice is never too much since God owns everything and man possesses nothing. The soul is yours, and the body is your handiwork. It's from the Tefillah. Total sacrifice was decreed by God when he summoned Abraham to, sat, to offer Yitzhak and Aramoriah. Of course, the idea of sacrifice is a cornerstone of Judaism, and the Akedah has inevitably introduced sacrificial action as a part of our historical drama. Yet, as we have said, the drama of the Akedah is multi-semantic, lending itself to many interpretations. God demands that man bring the supreme sacrifice, but the fashion in which the challenge is met is for man to determine. And again, that's what I'm suggesting in our context is level 11. And it's not that level seven was wrong. It just wasn't the complete story. There are two ways in which total sacrifice is implemented, the physical and the experiential. So it wasn't called psychological, it was experiential. The choice of the method is up to man. The need for sacrifice was established as an iron law in Jewish history. However, whether man should sacrifice on a physical altar atop some mountain, the way God summoned Abraham to do it, to do, or in the recesses of his personality is man's privilege to determine whether the sacrifice consists in man's physical agony, pain, and extinction of life, or in spiritual surrender, humility, and resignation is man's affair. God wills man to choose the altar and the sacrifice. Again, the transition from level 7 to 11 is what I'm suggesting is the description over here. Avraham implemented the sacrifice of Yitzhak, not on Haram Moriah, but in the depths of his heart. He gave up Yitzhak the very instant God addressed himself to him and asked him to return his most precious possession to its legitimate master and owner. Immediately, with no arguing or pleading, Avraham surrendered Yitzhak. He gave up as soon as the command was issued. Inwardly, the sacrificial act was consummated at once. So again, Rabbi Salvechik is suggesting it's right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. that's, that's where I manipulated him a bit and said yeah. this took place later on. It's hot no longer, and, and again, and I'll tell you why, uh, to the Norman the you came from earlier as well, uh, doesn't sound like they were separated on the way down. Mm -hmm. It sounds like when they left, well, that's when that happened. It's hot no longer belonged to Abraham. It's hot was dead as far as Abraham was concerned. Abraham, at that moment, yeah, experienced the horror, desolation, and black despair of the childless father who has no one to whom he can entrust his most treasured treasures, his most cherished treasures, his vision and hope, and who knows that everything for which he has worked will die with him. He's saying at that moment, he's saying the beginning. That he so Rabbi Salvechik is writing, the moment that he is, Vayashkem Avraham Babokir, is the severing. Uh, Harari uh, via Harambam is suggesting didn't take place then. Right. It took place in the moment that he says, oh my goodness, 
there's a malach Hashem, there's a perception and depth of understanding that I can and have sacrificed him already without physically doing so. The message then, just in terms of fitting this in with our larger conversations, discussions of Haram Bam is that even Akedat Yitzchak, even an experience which we can and have envisioned as man's submission, God's essence, ruling and governing the ways of human beings, is not exactly the whole story. For Harambam, it was very much Avraham's involvement, which is what you and I look back at and say, not only his ability to be Ohev and Yere Hashem, it's furthermore his ability to understand what's being said. That took much in terms of Avraham's own growth, in terms of his enhancement of Midot, in terms of his sharpening of mind, in terms of his ability to connect to truth, hear it, see it, and understand it in its entirety to, as we're suggesting at the end, realize and understand I can sacrifice my child without physically doing so. That in and of itself is Harambam again, twisting the narrative as we've always had it until his time, as it kind of has continued afterwards from envisioning it as this top-down existence of Judaism, of relationship with God, to one which has a lot of bottom-up as well.